good, man. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be starting up in verse 1, going through verse 10 tonight. Uh, don't know about you, I have been living now for the last somewhere between 22 and 10 years, depending on uh, the Lord's divine will taking place in my life. Uh, I mean that to mean that when I was eight, I was baptized. I believed in Jesus. It was 20 when I started really following Jesus. So God kind of knows how that was worked out in my life. I still struggle trying to discern that. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a text of going from being dead to being alive in Christ. Probably, I don't know where you're at as far as your biblical understanding, your biblical knowledge. Uh, if you have no familiarity with the Bible, this is like one of our key texts. One of those texts where like, if you're going to sit in a Bible study with one of us, this may be one of the first ones that we're going to go through. Others of you are like, yeah, I memorized this in fifth grade. I, I, I've, been, I've been through this. Thanks, bud. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think the Word has something for all of us here, wherever you are on that spectrum. Uh, so open up with me. We'll start here in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace." He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens and in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, chapter 1, you probably remember, or maybe this is your first time, really told us three things. Number one, that we as the faithful saints in Christ Jesus have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavens through Jesus. Although who, all those who are faithful saints, people who put their faith in Jesus. The other thing that we learned is that we actually know God's will. Okay, I've met with a lot of high school students, a lot of college students. What is God's will for my life? Actually, Ephesians says, this is God's will, that all things that have been created would be brought into unity through Jesus. All things. So not just the things that are seen, not just me in my life, but all things that you see, and even things that you cannot see that exist nonetheless. And lastly, that God has an immeasurable power. That he is displayed in nothing greater than raising Jesus up from the dead, affirming who Jesus is, confirming who, what he said about himself, confirming that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the promised one from the very beginning. 
And Paul's great prayer is that your, like the eyes of your heart, you would understand from your innermost being these truths which you may not previously have been aware of, but that you would know it more and more and learn, live according to it. And tonight, tonight, this text, Ephesians chapter 2, is getting down into how that immeasurable power of God has been applied to us applied to us. So let's look here. I'm going to walk through it just verse by verse, take a few stops along the way, and then we'll take a pause here in just a bit for, um, for a minute before we come back. Uh, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, you may have heard this said a lot of different ways. You've been separated from God, alienated from God. You don't have a right relationship with God. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. You know, again, don't know your background. We believe, according to God's Word, that all people, everyone who has ever walked this earth, has actually gone and rejected God. It's not just kind of this accidental, passive rejection or rebellion. No, it's an active, intentional, looking at the world, looking at the one who created the world and saying, no, thank you. And so I have a lot of people that ask me, like, so, yeah, sure, you say that. Like, sin leads to death, but why does sin lead to death? Why does that... I hear you say that, Christian, but well, why does sin lead to death? Well, God, number one, He is the source of life. He's the one who made life. He's the one who breathed all things into existence, spoke all things into existence. And what He planned for humanity is actually different than what humanity actually did. We see the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Humanity, the first humans, saw God, walked with God, had fellowship with God, knew what God told them to do, and said, no thanks. I, I would like to do this my way. I'd like to be like God myself. I know you've made me like in your image. I know you've made me to rule on this earth, to work well, to multiply, but I'm going to do this thing on my own. Thanks. And ever since then, the same thing has happened. So it is God, the source of life, and then humanity removing ourselves willingly from that source. Okay, if I were to unplug this lamp, it would go off. If you were to not charge your phone tonight, uh, depending on your usage over the next few hours, your phone would eventually die. Okay, similar principle. Okay, we have cut ourselves off willingly, intentionally, rejecting our source of power, our source of life. Okay, so my cell phone is at 29%. Probably in the next couple of hours, it will die. Adam and Eve, back then, they didn't die on the spot of their sin. Okay? God said, hey, if you eat from this fruit, this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, the one thing God told them not to do, you're going to die. And Satan tried to get in there and deceive and veil truth and try to twist their minds and their hearts away from God. The same thing he's been doing ever since then to all people, as we're going to read about tonight. And Adam and Eve were separated. They didn't die on the spot when they ate that apple, but eventually they did die. They'd removed themselves from the source of power. They couldn't recharge anymore through God, through His gift of this tree of life. So we were all dead in our trespasses because of sin. That's the, what is established by Paul here, the very first. In verse 2, in which you previously walked. 
in which you previously walked. This is the zombie text. Okay, you are the living, the walking dead. Okay, you have breath in your lungs, your brain is still working, your heart's still ticking. But in spiritual realm, in the eyes of God, you are dead. You've been cut off from God, separated from the source of life. And yet you still walk, you still go to class, you still have relationships, you still have jobs. You are the walking spiritually dead. But remember, this text was written to who? Believers, non-believers. Okay? Paul's writing to the believers in Ephesus. So he's saying, you once were like this. You were dead in your trespasses, in which you once walked back then. According to the ways of this world, we're going to look and see three things. Number one, three things that fight for the control of you and I. Number one, according to the ways of this world, we are under the control of the ways of this world. We are under the control of the ruler of the power of the air. That's a weird phrase. The spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. So we have the world, we have this ruler of the power of the air, don't really know what that is, and our fleshly desires. All three things in different ways and yet in some weird unison drawing us away from our creator, from our father, from the source of eternal life and true good. The ways of the world, you've probably heard that dichotomy, the ways of the world or the ways of God. You've probably heard the ways of the flesh or the ways of the spirit. Some people take this too far to think, hey, that, that means like all physical things are bad, all spiritual things are good. So like this body, this earth, bad. We're going to get rid of this someday. It's actually not how the Bible talks about it. It's actually that there's some parts of the physical realm which are good, some parts which are bad. Some parts of the spiritual realm which are good, some parts which are bad. And remember Ephesians 1, verses 8 through 10, God is going to bring all those things together, make them perfect, make them complete through Jesus. So it's not flesh versus spirit in the sense that this flesh is bad and what we're going when we die we get to become a spiritual angelic beings and that's good. No, he wants us to have like an eternal fleshly, physical existence where we're perfect again, where the spiritual and the physical are perfect, no longer broken, no longer decaying. Okay, just talking to Alex and his increasing dad bod. Okay, I've gone through the dad bod phase. I'm trying to shed the dad bod, but it's a real thing. My body has gone through the decay of life. Probably a lot of you faced injuries, pains, aches and pains. You, you know just that similar idea that your body someday will stop working. You get hints of that along the way. All of that is true. All of that is true. All things are working toward breakdown. And that's not the way it was meant to me. And it's not the way it will be. It's not the way that it will be. Uh, So that prince of the power of the air, okay? That's a weird phrase for what the Bible calls Satan or the devil. Okay, I don't know where you stand like, eh, that's like a little far for me. Um, I've heard people that say, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the devil. I'll believe even like in angels, but not believe in demons. Okay? Just by the way, like the Bible, Jesus did believe in those things. Paul believed in those things. So if you, you do believe the Bible, 
you probably should believe in those things and consider what those things are. Okay, you, some of you may be like, you believe there is a God, but you're not sure what that God is like or who is, who is that God, what religion leads to the real, true God. So you believe that there is this creator, powerful being that you cannot see, but it's too hard for you to believe in this evil, deceptive being that you cannot see. It's not consistent. It's not one, one correlation. Okay, if you believe that there's a God, at least be able to admit there's the possibility that there is an antagonist in the story. Somebody created by God that wants nothing to do with God. That wants all people, every one of us, to actually turn away from God. The Bible paints this picture throughout the book of Ephesians, maybe more than any other book, that there is this great battle going on beyond what we can see beyond this physical realm. And that's really hard for us as modern scientific people to believe because we can't see it with our eyes. We can't measure it and reproduce it in a lab. So it's just, it's difficult. And it takes a trust in a text written thousands of years ago in a context way far away. And for some people, that's, that's difficult to get over. But for a moment, suspend judgment. And if that's even possible, if it's possible that there is a creator God who exists, a personal creator God who exists, then maybe it's possible that there is a devil, that there are demons, that there is this spiritual realm, some of which is on the side of the kingdom of God and some on the side of the kingdom of darkness, because Paul seems to believe that. Paul seems to be pushing into that here, and he's going to go into it more and more through this text in the rest of Ephesians. Because of these things, okay, because you're following the ways of the world, because you have been deceived by the, the devil, because you have chosen your flesh, what you want to do, over what God wants for you, we have been made under wrath. We are, by nature, children under wrath, as others were also. Okay, this is that Romans 3.23 text. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has willfully rejected God and His ways. Uh, that's that's the, the common text of the Bible. Actually, Jesus uh, says this in John chapter 3, verse 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Uh, Romans 1, one of the books you guys have done recently at the table, for those of you that have been here for a couple of years, you'll remember maybe way back, chapter 1 talks about God having this great power, and that great power can manifest itself in pouring righteousness and grace and mercy upon you if you'll receive that, but it can also manifest itself in wrath. Okay? God has great power and it will come to fruition on all people, but you get to kind of play a role and participate in what that looks like. Okay, those that choose to follow Jesus get to experience His power through receiving His righteousness, through receiving new life. And those that reject God and say, no thanks, I hear kind of what you're saying, I recognize maybe kind of what you're offering, but I'm good. I'd rather kind of orient my life around what I want to do. Okay? I, I, I know what feels good to me, and so I'm going to keep doing that until I can't do that anymore. We're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. Um, there's a lot like going on in the world, as you know. Okay. 
probably everyone would recognize still a lot of injustice that's going on in the world, a lot of anger that's going on because of a lot of the injustices that are going on in the world. Okay, if I were to come up and talk to you in between, and I would bet that if I asked you, like, are you passionate about seeing justice done in America? You'd probably say, yeah, yeah, we can talk about what that looks like. But yes, I, I do think we need to have a solid justice system here in America, here in the world. People should be treated rightly. Okay, if they're guilty, they should be judged accordingly. If they're not guilty, then they shouldn't face punishment or violence. And yet we kind of suspend that idea when we talk about God. God is full of wrath. That seems just kind of mean. God just seems kind of angry to me. Kind of that old white guy with a long white beard who sits on the throne and smashes his gavel and is just waiting to pounce on people to judge them according to what they've done. That seems kind of ooh, judgy. Kind of mean. I don't like that version of God. I don't know if you, you, that's you or you've had that conver- conversation with a friend or a family member. I definitely have. Yeah, sure, I believe there's a God. I just believe he's a loving God. And really all paths kind of lead to him eventually. Just all, he's going to let all people into the door. And yet, we don't really like that in real life. Okay, if somebody murders someone in their home, in their bed, should the person who murdered them be held accountable for that? Hmm, yeah, probably. If somebody walking down the street is shot for no good reason, should the person who shot them be held accountable for that? And would anyone say no, they should not be held accountable? Because I bet you're not willing to raise your hand. Okay? We all believe in justice. If somebody were to come into my home and take advantage of my children, I would have not just words for you, but I would fight for them. And if you somehow got away with it, it would take everything in me and some really good brothers to keep me from doing something that would get me to put in prison because I would want justice. All throughout our world, people are taken advantage of because they're old. All throughout our world, people are taken advantage of because they're weak. All throughout our world, people are taken advantage of because of the color of their skin, because of the status they have in this world. Is that just? Unjust. Your family member gets taken advantage of. Somebody calls your sweet grandma and gets them to give them tons and tons of money thinking it was you lost in Cuba. Okay, you Maybe you've not had that experience. My grandma calls me probably every couple of months. Hey, are you in Cuba? Grandma, I'm not in Cuba. Okay, I was just curious because somebody just called me saying it was you from Cuba. That person should be held accountable for that wickedness. Okay, probably more serious. Probably a lot of you know somebody who's been taken advantage of sexually. Like maybe even on this campus. Some people probably know people who have been killed Murdered. We all believe in justice. That the guilty should be held accountable for those things. And yet somehow, when we talk about God, He shouldn't be like that. You know, God should just be only loving. He shouldn't hold people accountable for what they've done. That's weird. That's weird. We're going to talk a little bit here in just one moment about 
what God is really like. Listen to this from the book of Nahum. I know you read Nahum this morning for your morning devotional. The Lord is a jealous God, avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce with wrath. The The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. His foes, his enemies, aren't just people who passively, ignorantly didn't realize. No, these are people who have looked at God, looked at God's ways and said, no, thank you, and beyond no, thank you, I'm going to oppose you and get people to oppose you as well. That's an enemy. Verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. Some people think that it is, they cannot believe in a God who could send someone to hell. You ever heard that phrase? I can't believe in a God who would send someone to hell. I can't believe in a God who would judge someone. I can't believe in a God who would show wrath on somebody. I cannot follow a God who is unwilling to be just. I don't know about you, but if somebody were to be unjust to me or my family, I would want them to be held accountable. How much more so for God who created all things, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who had a great plan for you, for us, and then we willfully rejected Him and didn't just reject Him, but tried to get people to follow away from Him just like us. No, I'd rather serve a God who punishes the guilty, who holds the unjust accountable for what they've done. But this is what's so interesting about God. The Bible does paint a picture of a great, powerful God who is ready to pour out His wrath against His enemies, against all who reject Him, against all who are unjust, against all who are evil, against all who are wicked. But do you know what God really wants? Like, do you know what God actually wants? He's not just sitting up there hoping that you make a mistake, hoping that you don't hear the truth, hoping that you don't turn to Him for hope and joy and faith and peace and love. He's not wanting that. You just heard it just a second ago. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. He is just, but He loves us immeasurably as well. Look at verse 4. This is the great turn of Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were deceived by the world, by the devil, by our flesh. But God, but God, who is rich, He has overflowing amounts of mercy. It never ends. He's like an unending fountain of mercy because of his great, amazing, vast love which has no end that he had for us. He made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. Romans chapter 5 says it like this. Even while we were still sinners... Even while we were helpless, even while we were still enemies of God, He sent Christ to die for us. Even though we were unjust, even though we willfully rejected Him and turned away from Him and tried to have others join us and do the same, He came and He died. 
He made us alive out of the overflow of His mercy, out of the overflow of His grace, out of the overflow of His love that He had for His creation. He longed that we might be right with Him again and have a relationship with Him again. He is slow to anger, but great in power. And that great power manifested itself when He came and put on flesh, lived a sinless, perfect life, obeyed the law perfectly that we could never do, willingly died on a Roman cross, was humiliated, spit upon, beat, stripped naked, rejected by friends and people who had previously called for Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he was hung on a Roman cross, the most excruciating, most humiliating form of death ever, willingly, knowingly, That power then was manifested when he was buried and raised to life. Thus conquering death and conquering sin and defeating the powers of darkness, defeating the works of the devil. And he was made alive so that all of his people, all who have trusted in God from the very beginning, and all who would come after him could have life as well. And then he ascended right before the apostles, right before the disciples. They saw him ascend to the right hand of God. And they're just looking up like, I did, hmm, that was pretty, wow, that, that's pretty amazing. And an angel comes and says, hey, okay, get to work. Time to get to work. Remember what Jesus said you're supposed to do? Go into all the world, make disciples, teach them to obey all that, I, that Jesus commanded you. And remember, he's going to be with you to the end of the age. Hey, don't forget, Holy Spirit's coming in a few days. See ya, okay? And 2,000 years later, there's 100 people in Stillwater, Oklahoma, reading a Bible. Talking about God. Talking about Jesus and what He's done. Some of us believing it. Some of us having a hard time believing it. Some, some of us interested. But God is rich in mercy. He is slow to anger. And He has great love that He's poured out. You've been saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Listen to what, like, what has just been said. Okay, you were dead. And out of nothing that you've done, no merit that you had before Him, He made you alive. Okay, He, he raised you up. He actually, past tense, seated you in the heavens. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified. Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says, we have been crucified. All past tense. So when God looks at you, okay, when, when God in his transcendent power and omniscience looks down upon you sitting here, Okay, if you've put your faith in Jesus, been baptized into the church, the family of God, and you follow Jesus, you've put your allegiance on His side, God doesn't just see you. He sees Jesus. He doesn't just see what you've done. He sees what Jesus has done. He looks through you. He sees Jesus. And He says, you've been crucified now. When Jesus was crucified, you have been crucified. You haven't just died to yourself, but you've been raised to do life. I did that. I did that. I've made you alive, and not just made you alive, but here's what I've done. I have seated you at my right hand in the heavens. That is the position of authority over all things. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3? You faithful saints, you faithful saints have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. 
those of you that are in Christ now have power and authority, and he's going to get into this in chapter 6, over all the spiritual realm. The devil and his allies have no power over you. They want you to think they do, or maybe they want you just to think that they don't exist, but you better believe they exist, and you better believe I've given you the power to overcome. You used to live according to your flesh, now you live according to my spirit, which I've poured out into you. Okay, this is, this is hard to fathom, but that there is a God that exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit, and He, when we put our faith in Him, pours Himself into us. Not just his mercy, not just his grace, not just his love, but his very self. That the Spirit of God comes and dwells within the believer. Transforming our mind, even transforming our desires, so that we actually can and want to obey God and do, as we're going to find out in just a moment, the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So that... All that's happened, all that's happened, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You're going to learn this in the coming weeks, but we don't just, as followers here, so Christians here, we don't just live so that um, other people will recognize how we live and say there's something different about them, I wonder what it is, and we tell them it's Jesus, but actually, like, the spiritual realm looks upon us. Like, like our lives are witnessing to all things even now. Yes, your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates all are looking to you and how you live and we're supposed to reflect Jesus as we were made to do. But even the spiritual, the heavenly realm looks down upon us for you were saved by grace through faith. That's verse 8. Okay, We've already heard that you've been saved by grace, but it is now through faith that he wants to highlight. What is faith? What is faith? Okay, think about that for just a second. Like, how would you define faith? Okay, think about that on your break. We're going to come back in five to seven to eight minutes. 